Welcome to episode number 38 of Talking Mopars. On today's show, we have Project Car of the Week, High Performance Parts Listener Stories. And I wanted to talk about an event that I attended three years ago, and that event was the Ben Snowbar Collection Auction. I often think about that auction, and I realize that I'm probably never going to get a chance to attend another one quite like it. And I've never actually spoken depth about it and what my experience was like, not only attending the auction, but taking part in it. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I'm your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter. And this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Hello again, my friends. We are back for another exciting episode of Talking Mopars, and it's been a long week. You know, I let a car slip through my fingers, and I'm kind of kicking myself in the butt, <laughs> to be honest with you. I ran across a 69 Dodge Dart for 500 bucks. Now, I already have a 69 Dodge Dart. It's in the garage, but here's the thing. It needs a lot of parts, and, you know, I have alerts set up on certain apps that alert me when cars that I'm interested in pop up on them. That's a little Mopar hunting trick for you. If you don't know about this, on certain apps on your phone, you can have alerts set up when certain cars or certain makes of cars pop up. So it kind of gives you a quick head start on other potential buyers. So I have a lot of alerts set up for different things. I won't give away all my secrets, but... Recently, a 1969 Dodge Dart Swinger popped up on offer up for $500. Now, this car had been wrecked in the driver's side quarter panel, but it had a lot of parts that I could have used on it. A lot of hardware and, you know, little things that I really needed. It was 500 bucks. Now, in my head, I'm breaking it all down like I'd spend way more than that if I were to just buy all these parts individually at swap meets or on eBay and here's where trying to get the better deal got the best of me. I offered the guy 200 bucks. <laughs> and, you know, he said, oh, the best I'll take is 400 which I was willing to pay. But here's the thing. I wasn't just going to let him get away with that. <laughs> the stupid me. I know. I know what you're thinking. You're like, why didn't you just take the car? I know. But I really wanted to get that thing. I really wanted to pay $300 for it. Okay. So I offered him a couple hundred bucks. He said, no, he said 400. And I sat on that for a while. I wanted to see how this thing played out. I wanted to see if maybe I waited a week and see if anybody else bit and someone else bit. I don't know what they paid for it, but I should have taken the $400 offer and, or at least just said, Hey, 300 bucks right now, you can get rid of the car, make your wallet a little fatter, and I can make my driveway a little fuller. But Instead, I waited, I hesitated, I gambled, I lost. That's what happens in this game. And, you know, sometimes it's not all about getting the best deal. You know, 400 bucks wasn't a bad deal. 500 bucks wasn't a bad deal. It had a lot of usable parts on it. That's another problem. I should have went and looked at it. I would have been able to get a better idea of what I was getting myself into, but I didn't. So now I'm a little depressed. <laughs> uh, you know, 
part of the problem is I live in a neighborhood with an HOA. If you don't know what an HOA is, it's a homeowners association, which means all these jokers get together and they see something they don't like, they're going to complain about it. Thankfully, they never complained when I had my blue truck out in the driveway. And, you know, they don't complain when I'm working on my cars or anything like that. But the thought still crept in my mind because the guy was willing to deliver this dart because he lives in my city. So I was like, okay, well, my problem is always trying to figure out where I'm going to put these cars. And then as of late, I finally realized that I don't care what my HOA thinks because I'm a responsible guy. You know, if I were to bring home a car, I know it's not, you know, the most pleasant thing to look at. I'll keep it covered and I won't throw a blue tarp over it. I'll, I'll make sure that that tarp is brown side up <laughs> um, or I'll just throw a car cover on it. But I hesitated, I lost and, you know, I was going to have him bring the car here and I was just going to buy an 18 pack and bring some buddies over and we we're going to break this car down. I was going to take every single part that I could either use or sell. Now, in my mind, I know I'm going to have to explain to my wife why I brought home this piece of junk. <laughs> you know, because in her eyes, if I, I mean, think about it. You bring home this old car and it's wrecked. What is he going to do with that? She'd probably think, you know, I, knew, I had a plan. And, you know, now that plan will never be because I hesitated. So, folks, here's the thing. If you're looking at a car and you have the money but you're trying to get the best deal, sometimes that's not always the best way to go about things. Especially if they counter-offer your first offer and you're like, okay, yeah, I'd pay that. Well, then pay it. <laughs> you know, If you want the car bad enough, you'll pay it. Apparently, I didn't want this one bad enough, and now it's gone. So whoever got it, I hope, you, uh, I hope you're using it to bring another one back to life or maybe even bring that one back to life. Um, it had some potential, but like I said, I never went and looked at the car, so I don't know what it looked like underneath. But... I can assume that it was in pretty decent shape other than the damage on the quarter panel. But, you know, you can't win them all. And now I'm just going to have to go hunt for another one. So that's all right. I probably won't find one as cheap, but that's okay. I'll learn to live with my decisions. What are you going to do? So that's my depressing week. I hope uh, I hope some of you out there managed to save a Mopar or two or managed to work on your own Mopar. Speaking of which, I need to get out in the garage. I really have been procrastinating on my projects, you know, and I sit here and I preach on my soapbox all the time about get out there, work on your projects, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I haven't been doing it. I've been working on this podcast. I've been working on this new podcast studio, which is 90% complete. And I am really happy with it. You know, it's not a million dollar studio or anything like that, but it's my studio. I threw it together for a few hundred bucks and, you know, I think it's going to get the job done. And I think this is going to work for me for the next few years while I continue to build this podcast and hopefully, you know, keep growing this thing. So if you're listening to this right now and you haven't told anybody that you know about this podcast that is a Mopar addict, you know, come on, if you're listening to a podcast about Mopars, <laughs> let's just go ahead and call a spade a spade. You're a Mopar addict. I am too. It's okay. We can be Mopar addicts together. And that's why you're here listening to me talk about Mopars, right? Do me a favor. Tell your Mopar addicted friends about this show. And then do me another favor. Tell me your Mopar story. Here on Talking Mopars, we love to share stories. Mopar stories are what fuels this hobby. You know, you can't go to a car show without hearing, you know, a hundred different people telling stories. <laughs> That's just the way this works. That's what car culture is. It's cars, it's stories, 
It's good times. And that's what we have here on Talking Mopar. So send me your Mopar story if you haven't yet. And if you have sent me a story in the past, send me an update. You know, it's been a while now. We've been doing this podcast for nearly nine months. So, you know, I imagine if you've been working on cars, you've been making some progress on your projects. You know, send me an update. I love that kind of stuff. And I want to hear new stories too. So if you're out there listening and maybe you've been listening for a while and you're like, I don't know, Chris, I really can't write. I'm not really good at typing out stories and I don't want to write you a book. That's okay. You can call me on my voicemail, which is 209-28-MOPAR. Leave me a voice message. I'll play it on the show and we'll chat about it. Or if you're old school and you want to send me an email, you can do that at chris at talkingmopars.com. Gosh, I've been chatting for a while. I've been talking to you off. So, you know what? Let's get into the meat and potatoes. Let's get this show on the road. This week's Project Car of the Week is actually a truck, and it was posted Saturday, June 27th, 2020 at 9 a.m. Here is the ad. 1977 Dodge D100 Stepside, $5,500. Arnold, Missouri. Nice survivor from the 70s. Solid truck. Rebuilt 318 V8 4-speed, power steering, power brakes, AC, adventurer trim, thousands of dollars in mechanical receipts, suspension, brakes, etc. Good tread on Michelin tires, runs good, shifts good. Title status is listed as clean, condition is listed as good. Alright folks, let's talk about the elephant in the room first, and that's that the seller called this a stepside. But in the world of Mopar, we call our stepside trucks Utilines. There's no such thing as a stepside Dodge. If you say the word stepside and you're referring to a Dodge truck, technically that's incorrect. They are referred to as Utilines. So don't be surprised if you run across a <laughs> Mopar purist who says, whoa, 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 only Chevys are stepside, son. <laughs> Those are Utilines. There's Utilines and swept lines. There's nothing else. That would be technically correct. So... This Uteline Dodge is a 1977, and if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that this truck falls into the category of tin grill Dodge trucks. Now, tin grills are the affectionate name given to these trucks by my friend Paul from Tin Grill Dodge Trucks on Facebook. It's a uh, very large Facebook group dedicated to 72 to 1980 Dodge, Plymouth, and Fargo trucks and Ram Chargers, and Trail Dusters, and all that fun stuff. So, as long as it's a 72 to 80, we call those tin grills. Now, there is a huge controversy over the name, but you know what? Screw it. They're tin grills, okay? So, tin grill Dodge trucks are very cool, and, you know, in today's market, you know, everybody wants a C10. Now, F100s are getting crazy, but these Dodges, you know... I hope they don't get crazy because I really like these trucks and I'm starting to see the prices come up on them. So I won't preach too hard about these trucks, but I will say that if you're a Mopar guy and you're also a truck guy, they make great hot rods. Um, You know, you can lower them, you know, big block swaps, modern Hemi swaps, but I just don't see these trucks getting the amount of love they deserve in the aftermarket. But that's slowly changing. Recently, Holly released a full modern hemi swap kit for this thing and i'm really excited to see the kit put the kit in my hands you know hey holly put the kit in my hands i want to see this thing because i've been wanting to put a hemi in my 76 dodge d100 so 
I have the Hemi. I have the truck. I'd like to make it happen. I want to see this kit from Holly because that's a big step in the right direction for us tin grill guys because, you know, like I've said, there's really not that much aftermarket support for these trucks. So hopefully that changes. Hopefully they start repopping these grills because these grills are like gold out there. If you find a dent-free tin grill, be prepared to spend some money. It's not uncommon to see these grills go for upwards of $1,000 or more if they're NOS perfect condition ones. Um, you can get a used hammered one for like 30 bucks, but <laughs> you know, unless you're really good with tin work, then you know, you're left with a dented grill. <laughs> I have three dented grills right now. The best one that I have is on my truck. And to be honest, I really just need to pull it off and do a little body work to it just to kind of hammer out a couple of the big, big dents. But these trucks are really cool. They make great projects and you know, they're still reasonably cheap. This one's 5,500. So it's not the cheapest truck out there, but it's pretty solid. The cool thing I like about this truck is that it has the buddy bucket seats. Now, if you've ever seen a little red express or a warlock, you'll see that inside those trucks and adventure trucks, they have an option for these cool seats. Basically they're two low back buckets and in the middle is a little buddy seat that you can lift up and have someone ride in the middle, or you can set it down and it works as an armrest. I think they're really cool. It's my favorite seat in all these trucks and it may be even my favorite seat in all of Mopar, but this one just happens to be a lighter color, like a white or a cream. Now that is pretty rare. I don't see that very often. And I see, you know, every single one of these trucks that comes on Craigslist, I see, and I check out, you know, unless it gets sold before I get to it. But you know, it's not too often you run across this seat and this one has the white. So it's a yellow truck with the white interior and you know, it needs a little cleaning up. The door panels are white and it's just, it's just a cool color combination and it's a Udaline. So that makes it cool in my book. It is a V8 four speed truck. So that's awesome. And it runs and drives. You know, what more could you want? It would make a great starter Mopar project, especially if you're a truck guy or girl. If you like trucks, this might be something you'd like to get into. And the tin grill community is growing. It's getting bigger and people are really starting to take notice of these trucks. So get one now before they get too unattainable. Now there are some companies that make sheet metal replacement parts. So rust damage isn't too big of a factor, but these trucks did have rust problems and they did have some minor electrical problems, but nothing that can't be fixed. So, you know, maybe you're looking at muscle cars and you're just like, I'll never have a Mopar because I can't afford them. Well, here's a $5,500 Mopar that is not only cool, but I will guarantee you this thing will raise in value so long as it doesn't get into any worse shape than it already is. I think these trucks make great projects and I'm predicting that they're just going to get more popular as time goes on. So we'll see how that goes. But, you know, I decided that it was time to get another D100 or another tin grill on Project Car of the Week. So that was Project Car of the Week. Someone needs to get this truck and save it. No Mopar left behind. Now, typically, this is the segment of the show where I talk about high-performance parts, which is my creative little nickname for Mopars that have played parts in movies or on television, anywhere but on the street in real life. So, music videos, cartoons, movies, anything like that. If a Mopar's been in it, 
I'm probably going to eventually talk about it as long as I know about it. So maybe there's one you haven't heard me talk about yet. Feel free to reach out to me and let me know, hey, Chris, don't forget about the blah, blah, blah car. Or have you ever heard of the blah, blah, blah car in the blah, blah, blah movie? You know what I mean? So if you know of something, hit me up. I, I love taking your suggestions and it helps guide the show. You know, if you want to hear me talk about something, just reach out to me and let me know that that's what you want me to talk about. And I will either get to it soon or get to it later. But I want to make sure that people understand that this podcast is your direct connection to all things Mopar. And when I say that, I'm not just saying that to be cool. I will talk about any Mopar. You want me to talk about PT? Is there a guy out there who collects PT cruisers? (laughs) And he's just a diehard PT cruiser guy? I'll talk to him. I'll talk to anybody that's a Mopar enthusiast. If you're enthusiastic about Mopars, reach out. So this week's high performance part is actually going to coincide with the listener story this week because the listener brought it up. This is Grant from Iowa calling back again. Take it away, Grant. Hey, Chris, it's your buddy Grant calling from Iowa again. I really enjoyed the first couple dozen episodes of the podcast. Um, yeah, just really enjoyed the DIY Hemi guys and uh, just all the other content you've been providing. Um, really inspired me to get back to work on my W-150 again. Uh, I got a notification that I rolled it into the shop a year ago, and I hadn't touched it since, so I figured it's time to get my butt in gear. Um, so, yeah, I tracked it down. The issue somewhere in the wiring. I think it might be my ignition switch. I don't know, but I'll keep working on that. Um one thing I want to mention is you brought up in a couple of podcasts ago um, that you were looking for a diecast model of one of the wing car of the wing car from the Cars movie for like one of your kids or something. So I guess my question was like, have you ever collected like diecast cars or ever had any interest in it? Uh, I know I've been doing it for over a year now. I mean, it's a little weird, you know, being 25 years old hanging out in the toy aisle at Walmart sometimes, but you know, it's kind of cheap and fun and just something I enjoy doing. Um, one question I have for you about it, whether you've done it or not, I don't want to nerd out too much, but they make a car. It's called a Roger Dodger. They've been making it since the 70s. And it's it, it says that it's a Mopar. And if you look on the Hot Wheels website, it'll tell you what the car is based on. If you get a chance, I want you to take a couple looks at this car and tell me what you what Mopar you think it's based off of. I have my theories. The website says one thing. And, yeah, I don't know. I think it's. I would argue if I if I had a chance to talk with somebody about it. But anyways, um, yeah, just really enjoy the podcast. Keep doing what you're doing. Oh, and one car you should talk about, the Blues Mobile from the Blues Brothers. One of my favorite movie cars of all times. Just love to hear if you, there's any other info about that you could dig up. So anyways, uh, keep doing what you're doing. I'll keep listening in, and yeah, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for calling in, Grant. You saved me a lot of trouble because you gave me a couple things to talk about. One is your W-150. I am so happy to hear that I may have had a little part in inspiring you to get back to work on it. That's awesome. I love hearing those stories. I know there's a lot of people out there like me that have projects in the garage and you know, you let life get in the way sometimes. Sometimes you just have to force yourself to take some time to get out in the garage, get out in the yard. Wherever your car is at, go work on your car, even if it's for an hour. You know, get that motivation back. But very cool that you got re-motivated and, you know, you're getting back to work on that thing. So keep me posted on that project. As far as die-cast cars, I actually do collect them. 
Um, I'm not a crazy collector or anything like that, but there was a good year where I really went crazy. I tend to lean towards the M2 machines. I really like those. I like the Johnny Lightnings. I like Auto World stuff. I like the more realistic stuff. Now, Hot Wheels are cool. If I see a cool Mopar Hot Wheel, I'll buy it. But for the most part, I like the more realistic looking stuff. I really like 118th scale die cast, but they're so expensive. But there's a couple out there that I have my eye on that, you know, they're they're a little pricey. <laughs> but they are so cool. And hopefully I'll, I'll get... Uh, I'll get a nice little collection of those going. I have a few right now, but the problem is I need a display case because I've been putting them on bookshelves and stuff. And, you know, I want to show these things off. I think they're really cool. And I I totally understand what you mean by being a, you know, I'm 35. I'm sitting in the toy aisle or wherever I am. And I'm like, okay, well, feel like a dork, but that's okay. Embrace the nerdiness, buddy. Um, But yeah, I collect diecast. And... Last summer, I learned a really cool trick to finding cheap diecast, and that's to avoid the internet and go to local antique malls because people tend to put these diecast cars in antique malls. I don't know what it is, but I've seen some really cool ones for reasonable prices, not the 100 or $150 ones that you see on eBay, but I also see them locally and on um, Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, or OfferUp, and sometimes they're a little expensive, but if you go to like thrift stores or, like I said, antique malls, that's a pretty fun resource uh, to go hunt for die-cast cars or even, you know, Hot Wheels and stuff like that, but I love antiquing. I love going to the antique malls and stuff like that and antique shops and just browsing around because you never know what you're going to find. And sometimes you run into some really cool automobilia. So keep your eyes peeled. And it's just another fun way to hunt for car stuff. As far as the wing car goes for my daughter, yes, I did get a few of them. And shout out to Paul. Paul, I know you're listening. Thank you very much. She loves them. And I love them too. (laughs) Um, Paul is a listener to this show and he's become a friend of mine. And he actually heard me talking about that and sent me a little care package for my daughter. So... She's got plenty of number 43 wing cars now, and that makes us both very happy. Um, So, yeah, I I do collect diecast. Not as much. I went on a binge there for a little bit, and then I realized I've got nowhere to put these things. I've got, you know, and I'm not the the crazy guy who, you know, is a super collector. I'll pull them out of the package. I don't care. To me, it's not about how much they're going to be worth or anything like that. I like to pull them out and put them on display. So when I get a nice display case, um, I'd like to have it lit up and all that fun stuff. And I wish I could afford one of those old Mopar like dealership display cases. Those are really cool, but they are really expensive. So if anyone out there wants to donate one to Talking Mopars, <laughs> PM me and I'll send you my address. But yeah, so I'm going to get a display case here pretty soon and then hopefully get all my cars you know, on display. Because they're pretty cool. I tend to lean towards um, wing cars. It's hard for me to resist a cool wing car if I see one. But, you know, any cool Mopar, and I'll probably snatch it up if I see it. I actually had to stop going to, like, Hobby Lobby and um, these craft stores. My wife is pretty crafty, and we go to these craft stores. And then I realized that, oh, they have, you know, die casts. And the nice ones, too, the, the M2 machines. 
in like the model areas of like where the toys are in the model cars. And uh, it was like a little honeypot of cool cars that were hard to find. And, you know, that that well dried up pretty quick. So I decided that I was spending way too much money on those things because I'd walk out of there with five Mopars and be like, all right, cool. And then they're so they're pretty expensive for little cars. You know, they're not 99 cent Hot Wheels. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I guess I am a little bit of a collector of diecast cars, but um, I'm leaning more towards the 118 stuff now because I like the details and they're a little bit more expensive, but you know, they take up more room, so I don't have to buy as many. <laughs> uh, as for Roger Dodger, you did mention Roger Dodger, and I did want to talk about that because just looking at the car, it reminded me of the funny car era and like the original funny cars. And I, I took one look at it and the opera windows gave it away for me. It's a mid 70s Dodge Charger. I, hands down, that's the only thing it could be. And, you know, looking at the shape of the body, I'm like, yeah, 73 Dodge Charger. And as it turns out, I wanted to do some digging and see, you know, was it inspired by something real, blah, blah, blah. And it was actually inspired by a 73 Dodge Charger. So, you know, uh, the styling cues on the car kind of give it away, you know, especially what gave it away for me, like I said, was the opera window, the three little slots. They, uh, they stick out like a sore thumb. And then just looking at the shape of the car. So that's what I think it is. I'm curious to see what you think it is, Grant. Do you think it's a 73 Charger or do you think it's something different? Because, you know, I guess it could be interpreted a couple different ways, but, you know, the 70s were an interesting time. <laughs> so I see a 73 Charger. I'm pretty confident that's what it's based on, but you never know. Now getting into the Blues Brothers car, that's actually a fun one and it's on my list to talk about. I don't know very many secrets about the car, but what I can tell you is that it is a police packaged 1974 440 powered Dodge Monaco. They used 13 different cars for the Blues Mobile, and all of them were former CHP, California Highway Patrol cars. They all were dressed to look like former Mount Prospect, Illinois Patrol cars. And the movie actually set a world record in its time for the most cars completely destroyed in one movie they destroyed a lot of cars now thank god they didn't choose you know a charger to be the blues mobile because that would be a problem <laughs> you know we can't the dukes already messed enough of those things up we didn't need the blues brothers to mess more up so thank god they used monaco's but they actually set a record for most cars destroyed in a film until what 98 and that's only because the sequel came out and they destroyed even more cars in the sequel. So it was a record beater, you know, it beat the record and then it got beat again, but definitely a police equipped ex California highway patrol Dodge Monaco. So hopefully that satisfies you, Grant. Um, cool car and definitely a legend when it comes to Mopar movie cars. So that was high performance parts. That was listener stories. And that was a little conversation about die cast cars. <laughs> um, I know a lot of you listening probably collect die cast and you know, it's cool. It's relatively inexpensive. And you know, if you have kids, it's something you can bond over. So I am 100% for die cast cars. I think you should start buying die cast cars for your kids as soon as they come out of the womb. <laughs> and that's what I did. I had a, um, 
a satin pink Roadrunner uh, A12 replica car ready for my daughter when she came home. It was right on her shelf, and she still has it to this day. So hopefully that car inspires her. Hopefully the strip weathers from cars inspires her. And, you know, there's only so much you can do as a dad, but I hope that she has the Mopar bug like her old man. That's going to be a lot of fun. But very cool. I'll stop talking about toys now. Let's get into the auction that I attended three years ago, the Snowbar Collection. All right, folks, here's the story. Three years ago, around the end of June, I got wind of an article on Roadkill, the website, and it was about a local auction happening in Washington State, and it was a private collection, and the guy's name was Ben Snowbar. Now, I had heard this name before, but I had never personally interacted with Ben, and I was really intrigued because this guy, he's a local legend. And anybody in the local Mopar community that's ever had a car that needed parts, you knew who Ben Snowbar was. He was just one of those guys who just, you know, everybody knew who he was. I didn't. (laughs) I had heard his name, but I had never met the guy. I had never bought parts from him. I've never sold him anything. But everything I had ever heard about him was good. I just heard he had a lot of stuff and that, you know, like it says in the article, the Roadkill article, it says, you know, he, he was always willing to sell something. And everybody that I know that has met him bought something off of him. So that says a lot. So a lot of people saw the pictures from the auction. And a lot of people were, you know, saying what, you know, what I probably would be saying is, gosh, you know, why would you hoard all that stuff only to, you know, pass away and not get to do anything with it? And I don't think it was about that at all. I think it was just Ben really liked Mopar stuff. He liked cars. You know, he had more than just Mopars there, but I mean, let me tell you this. I read the article and I was like, I'm going to this thing. I don't care what it takes. So I took the time off work and I went down there for the preview and to attend the auction. And I made the commitment that I was buying something from this auction because in my mind, I didn't believe that I was going to get another opportunity like this to attend a crazy private collection auction. And, you know, especially one of this caliber because it was so much Mopar stuff. And, you know, I didn't quite grasp how much Mopar stuff Ben had. Because like I said, I didn't know Ben on a personal level. Other people did. But from what I had always heard, he was the guy to see, at least in the Northwest. Now, I started doing a little digging and learning what I could about what was at this auction. And I previewed the catalog online from the auction company, and I was just amazed at how much stuff there was. It's hard to put into words how much stuff Ben actually had. And, you know, I looked through the catalog online, and I I knew I had to go, and I knew I had to come home with something, a souvenir. I wasn't going down there to buy anything huge. I just wanted a souvenir. I didn't care what it was, but I wanted to pick something cool that I think was in my ballpark, because in my head, This was a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me, and I wanted to treat it as such. You know, am I ever going to run into another, you know, private collection auction like this? Maybe, but there's no guarantees, so I wanted to make sure that I made the best of this trip. And, you know, I went down there with a couple hundred bucks in my pocket or a few hundred bucks in my pocket, and I get to this place, okay, 
and it's crazy. It's a madhouse. You know, I'm thinking private collection. You know, how many people really know about this? That was the dumbest thing I've ever thought. <laughs> Everybody knew about it. And there was a lot of people with some deep pockets there. So I don't know if I can even put into words just how many cars Ben had. Okay? So the best thing that I could do to kind of give you guys an idea is to list them out for you. <laughs> and the list is crazy and it sounds it sounds nuts, okay? And this is just the Mopars that he had. He had some Chevy stuff, he had some Ford stuff, but he had a lot of Mopar stuff and parts. <laughs> I mean, the guy could have started a business and he did have a business. He had shakerhood.com, which is now run by Tom from Rocket Restorations. And Ben could have ran a whole nother business just in Mopar parts and, you know, the place was insane. Now, some people that have attended probably, you know, didn't think it was that big of a deal, but it was the craziest thing I've ever seen as far as an auction because it was the only one I've ever attended. So I have nothing else to compare it to. But let's just run down the list of cars that were on Ben's property, okay? Let's start with Chrysler's. He had two Chrysler PT Cruisers. One of them was a convertible. Three Chrysler LeBarons and one a convertible. He had a 96 Chrysler Concorde, okay? Now, let's get into the Plymouths. He had a 59 Plymouth Savoy, a 63 Fury, a 64 Fury, a 64 Savoy, a 64 Fury, a 64 Fury, a 65 Belvedere, a 65 Satellite, a 66 Satellite, a 66 Belvedere, a 67 Satellite, a 68 Satellite, a 68 Plymouth Barracuda Convertible, a, just a random 64 Plymouth, a 69 Plymouth Barracuda, a 70 Duster, 71 Plymouth Satellite, 72 Plymouth Roadrunner. Okay, those are the Plymouths. Now let's get into the Dodges, okay? He had a 32 Dodge, a 62 Polara 500, a 62 Polara, a 62 Dodge Dart 440, a 67A600 truck, 68 Polara convertible, 68 Dodge Dart GT, 69 Coronet 500, 69 Coronet 440, 70 Dodge Charger RT 426 Hemi, non-original sunroof car, 3 1970 Dodge Challengers, a 1971 Dodge Demon, a 72 Dodge Charger, a 73 Dodge Charger, Three 1980 Dodge Maratas, four 89 Dodge Dakota convertibles, four of them, a 92 Dodge Stealth, four 96 to 1999 Dodge Vipers, a 97 Dodge Dakota, a 98 Dodge Neon RT, two 98 Dodge Stratuses, a 2009 Dodge Challenger RT with like 14,000, or 14,000, with 14 original miles on it. This thing was brand new. He must have drove it home or had it delivered to his house, okay, and never drove it again. Two Dodge vans, three Dodge Ram pages. One of them was a race car. You know, it just needed an engine and transmission, but it was all tubbed out in the rear. It was bad. I love that thing. Three Dodge Rams. One was a 1500 and one was a Laramie SLT. Um, one of them was a single cab dually, which I thought was awesome. I think those things are awesome. There was a Dodge Grand Caravan, a Dodge Dakota, and like a hot rod Dodge Coupe, like a race car type thing but that's just an idea of the cars that he had he had more cars of various makes and models but he had a lot of mopar stuff now the parts you go to this property and everything when tom from rocket restorations took over the auction and organized it the amount of work that man had to go through to get everything i mean he had help of course but i couldn't imagine doing it 
There was so much stuff. I mean, you're talking thousands of parts. <laughs> so many parts that there were lots where it was just a bunch of parts in a box. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was like grab bag, you know, surprise. <laughs> but I get there and I'm just going through all these buildings and there's just parts lined up. And those guys did a great job of organizing it. But I've never seen anything like that in my life. You go into one building and it's all engines on the ground, wheels up above, intakes on one wall, carbs, just, and on the ground, there's nothing but center sections. I called it the pumpkin patch. There was a little pumpkin patch of just center sections that he had Hemi's, he had 440s, 318s, 340s. I mean, 360s. I, you could probably just name something and he probably had it somewhere in there. You know what I mean? It was insane. Now, I've posted some pictures of this thing before, but I'm going to have to post the pictures again because every time I do, somebody's like, where is this? When is this? And I'm like, dude, it happened three years ago. But that's how crazy this auction was. It was nuts. I don't think I'm ever going to see anything quite of that magnitude again. It was definitely an experience, one that I will never forget. And you're probably wondering, well, you went down there with a few hundred bucks. Did you get anything? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I did. As I was walking around, I'm looking at stuff that, you know, catches my eye that I might be in the ballpark to buy. And one thing stood out to me. And I knew as soon as I saw it that, you know, it spoke to me in a weird way. It was like, that was the part that I needed to buy because I couldn't afford any of the cars. But what I saw was a Coyote Duster air cleaner lid for a Hemi. Now, I'm looking at that thing and there was two of them. One was kind of burnt up or just... I don't, you know, thinking about it, I don't know if it was burnt up or just rusty or just out of shape, but whatever the case, the one that I was looking at was lot number three, and it was in a lot better shape than the other one, than lot number four, okay? I saw this thing posted up on one of the pillars in one of the buildings, and I was like, I'm bidding on this thing. If nothing else, it would be awesome wall art and a souvenir from the craziest auction I'm probably ever going to attend in my life. Will it ever go in a car? I don't know. But to make a long story short, I participated in my first auction, and I got into a little miniature bidding war. I won, <laughs> but it cost me $300. I paid $300 for a Coyote Duster air cleaner lid off of a Hemi, which is fine. I'm cool with that because, like I said, it's a memory that... I'll never forget. I'll never forget that auction. It's just, you have to see the pictures. If you go onto Google and you just type in Ben Snowbar Collection, you'll see all sorts of media about it. Read up on it. See how crazy it was. Up until that point, I had never seen anything like that in my life. And as I was walking around, I was just like, man, I don't have enough money. Because <laughs> there's so much stuff I wanted. You know, there was a, a couple cool race cars. And I really liked the 71 Demon, non-street legal car. It was basically, it was, it was a straight race car. That's what it was. But there was a few cars there that was, that were cool. Um, every Viper I thought was cool. One of them went for 6,500, but it had some title issues. Uh, the 70 Charger RT 426 Hemi non-real, non-legit sunroof car went for like, almost 60 grand. It went for like mid fifties or mid to high fifties. And I thought that was crazy because everybody was losing their mind over this car because it was a Hemi sunroof car, but it turns out it wasn't a real original sunroof car. That car is kind of controversial, but 
cool car nonetheless. It is a Hemi Charger, a real Hemi Charger. So that's cool. But the auction was just insane, guys. The amount of parts. And you don't really... When I know a lot of people criticize the big auctions when you see these cars. And a lot of people are like, oh, these people are you know paying way too much, blah, blah, blah. I understand how they can do it. You know, the drinks start flowing. Now, there was no drinks at this auction that I knew of anyway. But I know at the other auctions, uh, I see a lot of beers in people's hands. But, you know, they get a little sauced up and they got some money and they want to, you know, spend some money. But I can see how people get carried away in these things. Because you get in this little bidding war and you don't want to lose. You know, and you get a little sauced up and you really don't want to lose. So I can see how these cars at these bigger auctions, you know, how they hammer for higher prices than they probably should, which, you know, it's the nature of the beast. But I could see how, because as soon as I started bidding on that thing, you know, because it's like they start really low. And then, of course, you're like, what, I can have that for 10 bucks? <laughs> you know, you're like, uh, here. <laughs> and, you know, the price is, it's like real quick that it starts climbing really fast. And... Before I knew it, 300 and I was like, gosh, I'm I'm tapped out at 300 You know, I'm not trying to spend more than that on this thing. So I just prayed that the guy didn't want it more than I did. So I won that one. And then I got greedy because I did bring a little extra money just in case there was something I had to have. And I got greedy. And I was like, I'm getting the other one too. And then I backed off. I was like, no, no, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember if I actually saw the air cleaner lid on the catalog online and said, oh, I'm going to go get that. And then when I went there and saw it in person, I was like, I'm definitely bidding on this. I think that's how it went. But I was so in shock and awe of this entire collection that, because you have to understand, Ben collected this throughout his life. But there was so much stuff. I'm just like, you had to have gone to swap meets with, you know, a truck or a van or a box van and just, you know, dumped a bunch of money at all those swap meets to collect that amount of stuff, you know, cause I'm, he had eight and three quarters. I mean, he had more eight and three quarter rear ends than probably all of Craigslist. If you took every Chrysler eight and three quarter rear end on Craigslist, you still wouldn't have the same amount as Ben Snowbar's collection had, you know? So I don't know if that's true. I'm just <laughs> pontificating. But the auction was awesome. I've posted some pictures before. I'll post some more pictures again. And, you know, like I said, Google it. Google Ben Snowbar, S-N-O-B-A-R collection. And look at the pictures. It's crazy. It's nuts. At least I think it was. The only other auction that I can think of that was quite as cool and, you know, cooler in many ways, but we won't go there. You know, different different levels of stuff was the Steve Giuliano collection. That was an, <laughs> if I could have went to that auction, man, I would have had to have brought something home from that place. Cause that was just, you know, how many collections still exist out there like that. And I've actually made it a point to set some money aside for situations like that. So if I ever get a chance to go to another auction like that, like the Ben Snowbar auction, I'd like to leave with the car next time because there was a couple good deals that were had at that auction. You know, if you go on um, James G. Murphy, the auctioneer website, 
you can sign up and then you can look at past auctions and you can go see what every single one of those cars went for at the snowbar auction and some of them would surprise you but i just thought i'd share a little bit of that story and share my experience i could probably go on for another two hours on it but let me just say this there was so many parts i didn't even know where to begin so many of the same parts he had a wall of headers he had air cleaners hanging from the rafters <laughs> he had fenders on a wall he had hoods bumpers gauge clusters grills uh, every you i wonder how many cars you could build with all the parts he had <laughs> I mean, now that I think about it, I mean, you know, with all the cars that he had and a lot of them needing parts, you could build probably several cars or get several cars, you know, in better shape. <laughs> but it was just remarkable. And I'm glad I got to take part in it. You know, it's always sad when somebody in the Mopar community that is, you know, spoken well of passes away and... I looked at the auction more of a celebration of life. People were in good moods, you know, just loving, loving the atmosphere of things we all love, car stuff. You know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> this is what I equate the Ben Snowbar auction to. If you're a Mopar guy like I am, and you go to just a general swap meet, okay, just an automotive swap meet, you know you have to wade through all the BS <laughs> before you get to the good stuff. At least, you know, I like looking, don't get me wrong, but I'm there for one reason, and that's Mopar parts, <laughs> okay? So when I'm going through these swap meets, you know, not everybody marks all their stuff, so you got to sit there for 20 minutes, and, you know, if you're like me, you're a little OCD, so if you step into somebody's booth, you want to make sure you go through everything they have, and you got to look and make sure you're not missing anything that maybe is a Mopar uh, part or Mopar related. So that's what gets me at the swap meets. But this was like taking all the good swap meets, taking all the Mopar parts and just throwing them in one place. <laughs> that's what it was like. Cause everything was, you know, you'd have to look really hard to find something not Mopar, um, unless you were looking at some of the cars, but I just, I think about it a lot, you know, maybe I'm crazy, but I keep thinking back and I'm like, God, that was nuts. I think about it at least a couple times a week. <laughs> how crazy that auction was. I guess I just can't let the past go or something. Maybe I have some, you know, deep-seated regrets about not bringing enough money <laughs> to buy a car. But, you know, a couple of those cars went cheap enough. I could have bought uh, one of the Dakotas. <laughs> they were cheap, man. I think one of them went for like four or 500 bucks. Don't quote me on that. Sign up at the auctioneer website to look at the actual catalog and what these hammer prices went for. But, um, yeah, you could have gotten... If you had 2000 you could have walked out of there with a nice muscle car. Uh, okay, I take that back. Maybe not nice. Restorable. You know, a good carcass. You could have walked out of there with a good carcass. And, you know, if you're addicted to project cars like I am, thank God I don't have more money. And a lot of property. Do you know how many project cars I'd have? I'd be drowning in project cars. I'm that guy. So, you know, the powers that be, you know... <laughs> put me in the position to not have that stuff right now. And it's good because it gives me time to think about what I should do with what I have. And that's a good thing. But like I said, check out the Ben Snowbar collection and keep in mind that it's over. Every time I post pictures of this place, everybody's like, when is it? When is it? It's over. It's over folks. You missed out. But 
you can still enjoy the pictures. And like I said, if you go on James G. Murphy's uh, website, The Auctioneer, you can sign up and you can see the catalog and you can see all the hammer prices on all the parts and all the cars. Some of it's pretty crazy. I think it'll blow your mind. But that's all I have to really say about the Ben Snowbar collection. If you know of any crazy Mopar collections out there, you know, private or public, it'd be cool to hear about them. So you can leave the property owners anonymous and the locations anonymous, but I would love to hear stories about awesome collections that you've run across. You know, if you remember Blake from DIY Hemi, his story uh, about that collection that he ran into, you know, wing car and all, <laughs> that's, you know, a butterscotch A12. Like, collections like that, they're still out there, folks. They are still out there. How crazy is that? That's crazy to me. But, you know, I want to hear about these. You know, I don't have to go. You know, I don't have the money to play around in those things yet. <laughs> but I love hearing cool Mopar stories. I love hearing those crazy, you know, finds and things like that. So feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me, Chris, at TalkingMopars.com or call in the story. That would be fun, too. You can call my voicemail and leave a message at 209-28-MOPAR. But that's it for the Ben Snowbar auction, guys. Go take a look. Take a look at some of the pictures I've posted in the past. I'll post them again. Take a gander. It's crazy, guys. It's nuts. But I'm thankful that I got to be a part of it. And hopefully I get to be a part of another cool auction like that in the future. And hopefully next time I'll be ready. That's it. The Ben Snowbar collection. I attended and... I actually bought something. <laughs> That's all, folks. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For more information about this podcast or to listen and subscribe to the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can send me your stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your Mopar-addicted mind to Chris at TalkingMopars.com or leave me a voice message on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR to hear yourself on the show. Also, don't forget that if you like this show and you'd like to help support it, you can help me by visiting the Talking Mopars merch shop. You can purchase cool things like t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, mugs, and more. Ordering from the merch shop is a great way to help the show and get something cool in return. Just follow the link in the show notes or episode description or just jump on over to TalkingMopars.com. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.